0: Now to the Deacon's Roundtable here at WSFI Catholic Radio FF, FM 88.5 in Antioch, Illinois. And we are here once again uh, during the pandemic, socially distant, spiritually close to everyone here. And uh, we hope you're all being safe out there. Uh, we are here with Deacon Dave Egan, who was uh, from Chicago for many years. Now he's at Our Lady of Bug Tussle or wherever it is down in Tennessee. And we have Deacon <laughs> Eric from uh, Racine, Illinois you have seen, I've seen Wisconsin, but the, you know you should be <laughs> Illinois, you should be <laughs> Bear fans, at St. Lucy and St. Sebastian, and we have Deacon Michael Alondi from St. Mary of the Annunciation, and I'm Greg Webster from St. Raphael the Archangel in Old Mill Creek, Illinois. And we are very excited today that we have the the very well-renowned and, and outspoken uh, critic of abortion in the United States. We have Father Frank Pavone from Priest of Life with us here today. Father Frank, how
1: are you? I'm doing great. Uh, deacons, it's great to be with uh, with all of you.
2: Very good.
0: And as we like to begin, we have uh, Deacon Michael beginning in a prayer.
2: Yes, and with your permission, Father uh, Frank Pavone, uh, I'm, I'm lifting this from your prayer. In the name of okay. the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you have filled us with your Holy Spirit, who is our advocate in the heavens and you have made us advocates for the weakest of all the unborn we ask you today to bless all of us and all those who are your advocates give them and all of us who work in this great movement the protection of your providence and the peace and joy that come only from you and that nobody can take from us we pray in the name of the lord jesus
1: Amen.
2: Amen. 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 Father
0: Father Frank, you should should be very honored. Usually, when Mike lifts a homily for one of us, he doesn't acknowledge it, but uh, today he did. Very good. So, where we? Where are you uh, calling us from, Father? Father, where are we? Are you in Texas today?
1: Uh, I am coming from uh, today to you from uh, Titusville, Florida, and uh, Priest for Life bought a building down here just a few years ago. We outgrew the building that was our headquarters in New York City for some 17 years. And now we have a beautiful place right on the Space Coast here on the central uh, east coast of Florida.
0: how is the pandemic going we hear all these stories about Florida falling in the ocean and burning up and everything is everything uh, going well okay for you (laughs) well
1: well, fortunately for us it's going well you know and and it's it's you know folks need to uh, remember that it's a very localized phenomenon now I mean you can be you know various parts of Florida like our county for example uh, fortunately has had uh, very low number of cases go down to like Miami area it's more of a problem so it's very much different from uh, county to county but fortunately we've been doing fine our our staff has been able to return to work at our building and uh, and we you know praise God we've been able to keep our projects going full speed ahead even during the whole pandemic because uh, we're structured in such a way that we've got we've got staff in multiple cities and working remotely has been uh, part of the fabric of our of our life from the beginning Uh, so we were uh, as a ministry uh, really not that uh, that severely impacted.
0: That's very cool. Because I'm calling you from Illinois, so I think just for talking to you on the phone, i got to quarantine myself for 14 days. But, uh, <laughs> 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 but who, who knows what's going on next. So, so, Father, can you tell us a little bit about your story about, uh, I, I know you're from the New York area, right, originally? And, yes, uh, that's right. Can you tell us about your calling and, and how you became uh, such a wonderful uh, advocate for the unborn?
1: Well, yes, gladly. And you know, I uh, I went to public schools. I was always very much into my studies. And um, as far as church, you know, our family went each Sunday to mass. But we we really were not involved in the church or religious activities anyway beyond that. However, it was my studies that brought me closer to the Lord. I loved mathematics in particular. And I always say I got my vocation to the priesthood through the path of mathematics and the way that happened was i i was a, I was allowed by my uh... teachers to to move ahead at my own pace I i would just love to study on my own i got way ahead of of my grade level but you know the further along you go in math the more abstract it becomes and uh... concepts like in uh... infinity are not that far from the concept of eternity so the math uh... uh theory Began to get me to think philosophically and then theologically. Who created these laws of of the universe, these laws of mathematics? Where is the intelligence behind all of this? And it made me start thinking more about God. That led me to pray more, go into the scriptures more. And really in my senior year of high school, it was like a rediscovery of the faith that I had had from the beginning. Um, But I began to go to daily mass and rediscovered the power of the eucharist and i had such a joy in the gospel that i i i I was doing everything i could to to bring it to others and and then i started uh, thinking because of the suggestion of one of the faithful parishioners who saw me there at morning mass uh, she said to me are you thinking of becoming a priest and i said well no not really but you know maybe i should think about that and as I thought about it, it made sense. I said, what, what better can I do then to bring other people the joy, the peace, uh, the power of the faith that I have rediscovered myself? Uh, and, and that led me to, to uh, start applying to seminary, and I went into seminary right after high school. Now, at the very same time oh. that all this was happening, I got involved in the pro-life movement. I went to the March for Life in Washington, Uh, in 1976 so that was the third annual March for life and as a high school senior seeing that crowd uh, under hearing the speeches understanding a little bit more about the issue it lit a fire in me and I was just I came back from that realizing this is the biggest moral issue of our day and I began to get more and more focused on the problem of abortion and more and more involved in the pro-life movement so right from the beginning you could say my call to the to the, the priestly ministry and my call to pro-life activism were intertwined right from the start and they just continued to grow together
0: you know, we have a lot in common, because uh, math actually made me very religious as well. I had to pray a lot before I'd show my dad all my math scores. So, <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, so uh, well, that's very cool. So, so you went to seminary in New York, then?
1: I started out with the Salesians of St. John Bosco. Mm. I, oh. uh, my parish, uh, my home parish was a Salesian parish, Corpus Christi in Port Chester, New York. And, um and they had a seminary just 90 minutes away, and I started out with them. Great formation program. So I was in religious life for a few years, temporary vows, uh, had the the benefit of a novitiate year, which uh, is great, very great formation, you know, even if you don't remain in, uh, in that religious community, to be formed in a novitiate program is a, a tremendous spiritual gift. So I was with the Salesians for five years then i discerned i took a few years off i said you know what maybe what i'm really looking for is is just to be a parish priest but i took a few steps back for a few years and then i went back in and this time i went to the um, new york archdiocese and uh the great seminary there saint joseph's uh, dunwoody in uh, in yonkers and uh was ordained by cardinal john o'connor of new york in 1988
2: yeah can you hear me I, I share your experience a little bit i was in the seminary at uh, after the age of 12 and i took a temporary vows and then i left but unlike you i didn't come back till 2000 uh, year 2000 to become a deacon
3: ah. so i understand
2: the v yeah i'm a late vocation
1: the religious life is very powerful and it's a it's a beautiful uh a beautiful experience just to be able to have, um, you know, have it for a few years. Uh, very, very powerful.
2: And so how did how did you get into the uh, uh, respect life? Uh, uh, the the things you were doing?
1: You know, I st- I had um, in the parish where I was assigned, which was a very large parish, uh, very much uh, family oriented, lots of activities going on, we had a big school attached. So I loved the parish work, but there was also this uh, this pro life fervor was 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 burning within me, and so I got involved in in Staten Island where where the cardinal assigned me it, with the local pro life efforts there, and I soon began reaching out beyond uh, to some of the national groups. Well, what happened was after serving in the parish about four years, I, I, I can only describe it as. Um, a call of conscience it was a calling within my calling to devote myself full-time to serving the unborn serving the pro-life movement and working to end abortion i was just so convinced i got i got to the point where uh, i knew this was was something i had to devote myself to full-time so i went back to uh, the cardinal of course to ask his permission and you know fortunately i I was in the right place at the right time because cardinal o'connor was a great advocate for the unborn he was convinced uh... that the the number one moral issue for our church and for the world is in fact abortion and that we we have to get this right we have to secure the right to life if we're going to secure any other kind of rights so he gave me his blessing he gave me his full permission to make my full-time ministry the uh, the pro-life effort. and right at that time, priests for life had just gotten started. Uh, it had gotten started actually on the west coast and um, and he connected me with uh, the priest who got it started because interestingly, right at that time Cardinal O'Connor started the Sisters of Life. And that whole idea, that got me thinking that there should be something like this for priests. And the priests in California who started it, his mom, who had lost her husband, joined Cardinal O'Connor's first group of Sisters of Life. So it was a beautiful connection there. And uh, this priest and I were thinking along the same lines, let's do something to encourage and energize the clergy, not just the priests, mind you, but the deacons too. And right from the beginning, you know, we had a a heart for the deacons. Uh, I was, in fact, in, in my parish, we had three deacons, and uh, I was even asked by the cardinal to help in the diaconate formation program there in the New York Archdiocese. So I've always had a, a deep appreciation of the vocation that, that you men are living and uh, the diaconate, uh, how much of a blessing it is to the church and to the pro-life movement, which is why we have, uh, we have deacons for life as well as the priests for life. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's how it happened.
2: And uh, has, it, has it been, how was it, what were the challenges once you got into this? into this movement. I see that a lot of people are getting into it, a lot of interest.
1: You know, it, it, it's um, a, a lot of times people will say, oh well this is a very difficult issue um, you know, and, and uh, it's really to my way of thinking there are a lot of issues uh, today that we deal with both in the church and in society that are a lot more difficult uh, than the abortion issue. And when you look at it, it's really the simplest thing in the world to be able to stand up to people and say listen you don't kill babies you know I mean it's black and white it's as clear as can be it's as fundamental as can be so the problems uh, that you know the challenges we've encountered have never been as a result of uh, you know the issue itself Uh, it's more of a of a question of helping people to see the uh, the urgency of this I mean when 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 it's explained clearly and compassionately people respond they know we need to protect these children they know we need to end the violence but um, there are so many other things going on that take people's attention away and and for us you know the big challenge has been okay people understand uh, why abortion is wrong but you know we, we 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 put to put it higher on our priority list, uh, even among you know folks that accept the message has always been the uh, the uh, the biggest challenge. And um, you know, we get opposition from the other side and Planned Parenthood and groups like Catholics for choice, and you know all these other people try to attack us in various ways. Um, but the bigger problem is, you know, the folks that you would expect to be on our side, you know to he- really help them along to see hey folks we've got to give our full energy to dealing with this problem you know that's where um you know it sometimes becomes difficult
0: dr frank would you would you say that the kids today are a little more pro-life or a little less pro-life than they were maybe a decade ago i i know with my own children i just say hey guys it's a baby and they're like why would you hurt a baby is it- yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're more pro-life uh, now. And, you know, it's for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, th- th- our young people today who are taking part in this movement, they realize something very that, that is very, very profound and very disturbing. They realize that they are survivors. Now, that it doesn't mean that their parents ever thought about abortion or would think about abortion it means that they realize at a certain point in their life they come to realize that their life was not protected when they were in the womb and that brings a tremendous uh impact on them an impact that we still don't yet fully understand there's a positive and a negative side to it the positive side is that it motivates them to defend the unborn, because in a very real way they're defending themselves. They're saying these babies are persons; they deserve protection. And in the back of their mind, they're saying, "Yeah, just like I deserved protection when I was an unborn baby." Uh, but the other factor too that 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 motivates them is that they see around them, among their friends, perhaps in their families, they see the devastating impact abortion has had. You know, the longer we go on with this, and we've had legalized abortion in our country for almost Almost fifty years. The more damage, the more pain, the more grief, the more broken relationships there are. And uh, these young people can pick that up pretty quickly. And they see the the sadness uh, uh, that abortion has brought to so many people they care about. They see the 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 loneliness, the 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 broken hopes, you know, and dreams. And they also see that um, this was a false promise. It it didn't help. Uh, anyone who get who got it, it it only created more problems, uh, and so that's why our younger people now they are more pro-life, and uh, and that's a great sign of hope for our movement.
0: Uh, we're joining here on uh, Father Frank Pavone on WSFI eighty-eight point five on the FM dial. We'll be right back.
4: Did you know that you can listen to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio from anywhere in the world? Our live Internet stream is available at WSFIRadio.org. Just click on Listen Live. We also stream on the TuneIn mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. For iPhone and iPad users, visit the App Store, download the TuneIn app, sign up for a free account, and then search for WSFI. WSFI. Click Follow to add us to your profile. For Android users, visit the Google Play Store, download the TuneIn app, sign up for a free account and then search for WSFI. Click Follow to add us to your profile. Need help? Call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455.
3: This is Father Joseph Mary Wolf from EWTN. Catholic radio is
0: important because you reach people where they are. Often people may be traveling in their cars, they may be at home doing other things, and they can still be growing in their faith. They could be participating in prayers. That we have all of these stories of people who were touched by what they heard on the network. They came into the Catholic faith and many other
3: stories of how people's lives were changed for the better through Catholic Radio.
4: WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated.
0: We are back on WSFI 88.5 with my microphone turned on again. Sorry about that, Father Frank. If I, I messed up a little, <laughs> a little bit, uh, they just told me they're going to dock my pay for the month. So uh, guess my daughter can't go to college. But uh, anyway, uh, talking to Father Frank Pavone from the Priest for Life and and some of the issues going on in the. Uh, in the world today with the, with the pandemic and everything else, but in uh, all these different issues that were going on, we can't forget the, the, the sanctity and, and the Imago day and all of us, the beauty of the unborn. And so we're talking to Father Frank about some of the issues and some of the things going on. And I think Deacon Eric had a question for you, Father.
5: Yes, okay. Fa- yes, Father. Um, so we're getting near five decades of abortion being the law of the land. And on top of that, you know, we're in the 60s of millions, 60s of millions of abortions that we can count, that's not counting the uh, chemical ones that uh, are out there. How do you think God is viewing our country through all of this? What, what do you think heaven, how are they looking at us, and what do you imagine that to be like?
1: You know, uh, the 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 uh, I often think of the uh, verse We find in the prophet Jeremiah, uh, more tortuous than all else is the human heart beyond remedy. Who can understand it? And uh, there is a, uh, you know, there is a mystery here where when something is so basic, like you got to protect babies, you know, and when their defenselessness is really an argument for more protection, not less. And when it really comes down to the very survival of our own species, you know one has to wonder, how on earth can we have, you know sixty sixty one million aborted babies uh, now in our in our in our history? How could this be? So there's a blindness of 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 heart. there is a real. It really points out that it is a real spiritual battle. I think too, of Isaiah chapter one, where God is, is really upset with his people. You know, we just had this reading the other day as the first reading of Mass, and uh, God is calling his own people Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's saying, you know, I'm not going you know, to accept your sacrifices anymore. The very sacrifices that he himself had instituted, he said, I'm not going to accept your sacrifices anymore. And he says, when you pray, I will not listen. I think it's one of the, the scariest verses in the Bible. If God's not going to listen to us, to whom do we go? And the reason that he gives for being so upset at his people at that moment is that he says, your hands are full of blood. So there was killing going on in their midst. Not that they were doing the killing, but that they were tolerating it. There's killing going on in their midst. And as we read at the very beginning of the Bible, when innocent blood uh, is shed on the land, it implicates everyone on the land. The blood of Abel went into the ground and cried out to the heavens to God. So the Lord is looking at, at this, uh, and um, I, I I cannot imagine but that he that he uh, he sees it exactly the same way as the prophet Isaiah was saying. He's saying, "Look, you have to get this right. You have to wash yourselves clean, as he says in that Isaiah passage, and do justice, intervene for the helpless, just as I have intervened for you." But we know, of course, that. Of course, uh, you know, Isaiah was before Christ. Now we have the blood of Christ speaking even more eloquently than that of Abel, as the letter of the Hebrews tells us. And we've got the sacrifice by which he redeems us. So this God who is looking down at all this bloodshed is also looking at it through the blood of Christ. And I believe that it is one of the most urgent and effective uh, aspects of the new evangelization that we let all this violence and all this bloodshed make us turn ever more eagerly to the blood of Christ, not only to wash us clean of this, this, this sin, which really is a, a corporate sin as well as an individual one, but it, it, it also that the power of that blood makes us stronger advocates for the weak and for the helpless. I think God is, is, is urging us, turn to me with repentance, Reach out to the helpless. Proclaim life and proclaim mercy to those who have had this. And and you know we we, we know we know how God brings good out of of evil. And and one of the things we've responded uh, in the midst of all this with is the testimony of those who have had abortions. As you know, and as our listeners will know if they follow our work, we have this Silent No More campaign. And, and I think, you know, you as deacons, of course, can appreciate this very, very uh, profoundly because you are ministers of the word, uh, as, uh, as we are too, of course, as priests, but ministers of the word, uh, you know, the word of testimony, just as Jesus is the testimony of the Father, uh, and we have testimony all through the centuries of how God has intervened in the lives of his people. So today we have a beautiful group of people. That are giving testimony to the mercy of christ and those are the people who have been involved in abortion the moms of course the dads and that's a big 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 dimension of it the dads who have participated in the the aborting aborting of their children and the rest of the family too and 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 they've been through this experience and they share their stories publicly once they've sought and found the lord's forgiveness they've gone through healing sharing their stories gives hope to those who are in that same situation uh, and grieving, gives strength to those who are tempted to have abortions, but when they hear these stories, they say, no, I'm not going to go down that road. Uh, and it gives, it gives inspiration to the rest of us because even if we haven't been involved in abortion, when people hear somebody say, you know, I had my child killed or I had multiple uh, children killed by abortion, if they look at them and they say, wow, they found forgiveness... Maybe there's hope for me as well. So I think that this is some of what, you know, from the divine perspective, as you're as you're you're asking some of what is happening in that, you know, in that spiritual realm and from God's point of view.
0: Amen, Father. In fact, I ask you, though, we read in the paper the other day, I guess it says like the church has got one point four billion dollars or something during the covid-19 or something like that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: In Illinois. They, abortion was an essential service. They did not, you know, we had our liquor stores, our marijuana right. shops, and abortion clinics were open. Right. And I don't know that I heard any of our bishops say anything, and I don't want to get in trouble for saying that, but if, they, if you can quote me, but um, I don't like, how do we stand in front of God saying, yeah, we collected $1.4 billion, but uh, where's where, why are our abortion clinics open, and where is the outrage in the Catholic
1: Church? Yeah, wasn't that a sad thing? I mean, that, that was brought up uh, during, the cor- during the course of this pandemic by a lot of folks in the pro-life movement who were very disturbed by this, and rightfully so. And it shows, you know, for one thing, it shows the arrogance of the abortion industry because they believe not just that this is, should be legal, they believe this is such a fundamental right that nothing should interfere with it, not even a pandemic. And they had no regard... For the health of their own workers or of the people that were coming in those clinics for abortions and that should not surprise us because they have no regard for life i mean if you can't if you can't regard the life of that baby as sacred you're not going to regard anybody else's life either so we saw the arrogance of the abortion industry we saw their their complete lack of regard for life but we also saw as you're as you're pointing out that you know maybe the body of christ maybe the church of god uh, really does need to be uh, need to do an examination of conscience here and say, shouldn't we have been more more forceful here? Shouldn't we be more uh, sounding the alarm? And you know that in a sense, what you point out just now, uh, and 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 as you say, you know, obviously it's a it's a sensitive topic because we love our church. we're we're loyal to our our uh, our bishops and so forth. Yeah, we better but say, we better you know, say Michael and, and, and Andy we're said also, it. you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're also, you know, human beings who have two eyes and two ears and you know we understand what's going on and and it's like, you know, we can't ignore the problems. And 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 the and and this is one of the things we try to do through priests for life and deacons for life is to say in a very respectful but clear way, listen everybody, we believe we're the ones who need to lead the way. We're the believers in Christ. We are the church. We are the the moral conscience of the world. Ah, uh, we are the the defenders of the defenseless. You know, Jesus had a preferential option for the poor. He came to save the weak. If we're not going to save and speak up for the weakest of the weak, if we're not going to be the voice for the voiceless, who is? And it, it it can't get too much worse than it is now in terms of the you know the the absolute um, out of control so uh, abortion you. industry. I mean, we're talking about abortion up until the day of birth and even killing babies after birth i mean this this is just it's so outrageous that one wonders how much worse it has to get before we you know those who have not found their voice on this issue will find it and, well, and speak father up.
5: Can, if i can interrupt yeah. i want to build on this i'm going to change the question i was going to ask you do you think the church's timidity through all this the covid 19 abortion right now and other issues that are going on do you think a lot of this has to do with the sexual abuse scandal that we think we've lost our moral right our moral foundation to be uh, that brave soul out there and constant soul uh, speaking the truth right.
1: you know I think that may be part of what's going on uh, I think that may be part of it you know we get a little gun shy because we're ashamed of uh, of what happened, but I think we have enough examples, don't we, of, uh, in our history. I mean, St. Paul being one of them. I mean, here's a guy who killed Christians, uh, and then he became such a, a key part of the, not only a key part of the church, a key part of the very foundation of the church and his letters in the New Testament and all of that. So we got to take the example of, you know, redemption is real. Uh, the power of the blood is real. So we admit our sins, you know, we say, uh, look, there's been a failure. There's been an institutional failure, no doubt. But that doesn't make us lose our institutional voice, and it shouldn't. We're proclaiming a Savior here who, who lifts us up out of, out of sin. And, and the power of the Word, this is a beautiful thing about our Catholic faith the power of the Word and the power of the sacraments does not depend on the holiness of the, uh, uh, of the individual minister. Now, that's no excuse to do evil. Uh, but it is a reason to get back up again and to be as clear and forceful as we ever would have been before. Uh, you know, we are we are given this gift in earthen vessels, as Scripture tells us. Or I like the image. You know, that has come down through the ages of the the golden coin in the dirty hand. You know, this is the faith being passed on from age to age, the moral teaching, and all the all the the beauty of our faith. So it's a golden coin being passed on in, 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 in dirty hands. Yes, we are all sinners. That's why we begin the Mass the way we begin it with the with the confession of sin. But by goodness, we have a golden coin and it it hasn't lost its 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 power and its strength and its value and it needs to be proclaimed. So I think that's so part of what's going on. But I think there's other things going on too that were there before. You know, and we just we just we we are we're, we're afraid and 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 we've got a we need a renewal spiritually ourselves to be able to deal with persecution to be able to deal with the blowback that will come um, but the but the thing we have to realize is it's going to come one way or the other you know well, father, we, we might get pushback by by being by being loud on these things but we're going to get we're going to get uh, attacked anyway even if we're silent
5: well father all father, that you've said in this uh no. well, the segment go ahead uh, all you said in this segment How are the Priests for Life changing their ministry, their mission?
1: Well, the Priests for Life have been, uh, we've been evolving and growing. Uh, You know, uh, we we retain the core of our mission to help our brothers in the clergy, again, priests and deacons. uh, We have resources for preaching. On this message, I have a book that goes through all the all the Sunday readings of the entire lectionary, and uh, uh, with with hints on how to preach on this issue. Uh, we have prayer resources, and so at the core of our mission is encouraging the clergy to to be strong leaders on on this topic. Uh, and then, of course, the healing ministry for those who have had abortions. Under our umbrella, we have Rachel's Vineyard, uh, the largest uh, ministry for for healing after abortion. Many dioceses use Rachel's Vineyard retreats as part of their outreach to the wounded. Uh, We've got um, the Silent No More campaign. So a lot of both research and pastoral ministry to heal the wounds of abortion, big part of our work. And that has evolved uh, uh, and gotten bigger over the years. You know, we've also, we've developed youth outreach. We've developed uh, outreach to the black community. Alvita King is a, is a full-time member of our team, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, we've got an international outreach uh, helping legislators in other countries, helping the Holy See, a mission at the United Nations, for example, and uh, other other international endeavors. And then we have, uh, and this is something we've grown into over the years, uh, under the guidance of the church, we have our outreach in the political arena. And of course, as we know, we're in a, a very important election year. And the church has a lot to say about voting. Uh, the Second Vatican Council, the Catechism, the de- documents of the Church have a lot to say about our responsibility as citizens. And one of the things Priests for Life has done is to is to articulate and and train people in the teachings of Scripture and the Church on about about politics and the practical ways that we can get involved in making sure that uh, we elect leaders who are. Who are going to preserve, as as the Catholic uh, teachings always talk about, the common good? You know, and we're not looking. For, you know, we're not going to the, to the polls just looking for something for ourselves, but we're looking at the common good. What's going to be good for the whole of society? Uh, so these are some of the ways in which our ministry has, um, has evolved uh, as the years have gone on.
0: So what do we do about Biden? I mean, he's uh, he's a good man, but you know, he he's one of the most uh, vocal opponents of of uh the pro-life movement there is right now and uh we're going to be coming into a break but i'd I'd like to know as as a catholic and we have all these catholic politicians that that aren't following
1: no that's right we have to expose we have to expose the truth about what's going on i mean we're truth tellers you know we're ordained to to proclaim the truth and uh Defending part of defending the Catholic faith is defending it against those who would misrepresent it, right? And so, I mean, aside from anyone's political preferences, uh, well, first we we've got to start with honesty. You know, some some people are say that you know the 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 first virtue in in the political realm has to be uh, civility, but I say it has to be honesty. And and if a man is going to stand up, whether it's Biden or anybody else, and say, oh well, I'm a Catholic, you know, but I I don't believe in protecting the unborn. Well, wait a second. Now that's a contradiction, and uh, the bishops have already told us what a big contradiction it is. It's a beautiful document, as as you men know, uh, living the gospel of life. The U.S. bishops came out with it, and we got to talk about that a little bit after the break because uh, it's a great tool for us to use because it speaks about this need for consistency. So I think we need to we need to quote the bishops. We need to get that document into the hands of the people and say, listen, you've got to be critical in your when you listen to this campaign rhetoric you listen to people like biden uh, if they're going to present themselves as a catholic it's like we got to raise our hand and say wait a second you know what about the churches uh and not just the church but just the human imperative of protecting these babies
0: as we're joining here and father frank cavone on wsfi 88.5 on the fm dial We'll be right back shortly, and I'm sure Dave Egan has some questions he wants to ask to follow up on this. We'll be right back.
3: Building homes, building community, building hope. Habitat for Humanity Lake County welcomes you to serve God's people. We invite you to build and rehab homes with Habitat for Humanity right here in Lake County. You can also donate and purchase building products, newer appliances, and non-upholstered furniture to the Gurney ReStore. For information, visit habitatlc.org or call 847-623-1020.
0: We're back in the Deacons Roundtable at WSFI 88.5 on your FM dial. We're talking with Father Frank Pavone of the Priest for Life. And uh, I know Dave Egan wants to talk to you, Father, about Deacons for Life. But i, I got to ask, since it is an election year, we're going to hear all these people say, well, I'm personally against abortion. But, you know, as a lawmaker, I have to defend a woman's right to choose. I'm so, I know you hear that all the time. What do I say?
1: Well, as a lawmaker you have to protect life. That's the first purpose of government. That's the first duty of a, of an office holder. We need public servants who know the difference between serving the public and killing the public. If they only are looking at abortion as a woman's right to choose, you know they're just not being honest with themselves or with their or with their pe- with their people. It is the killing of a baby and you know that's not something they have to ask the church to tell them. They just have to ask the abortionists. If you get the medical textbooks on how abortion is done, uh, you see they use the words dismember and decapitate. You know, they talk about the arms and the legs being pulled off. The interesting thing, uh, 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 my brothers, that that I always notice about those who defend abortion, whether it's in academia, in the media or in the political realm, is that those who (coughs) defend it refuse to describe it. And, and, and this, again, is where, you know, the truth-telling that we are called to, to manifest comes in. Why aren't you describing what you're defending, you know? And so I would say to, you know, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and all these pro-abortion politicians and back in the days of uh, the Clintons and uh, Barack Obama, I said to all of them, I said, you know, you're, you're, you're standing up here and, you know, with all these eloquent words, you're trying to defend legal abortion and you're talking about right to choose and health care and constitutional rights and freedom why don't you start by telling me what an abortion is? And you'll never hear them use the words arms and legs and dismember and decapitate. But those are the words that the medical textbooks use on how you do abortions. So there's a big disconnect here. And I think we start in solving this problem by simply calling people to, uh, I, you know, be honest about what they're talking about. And that's a good. That's a really good place to start because then the solution becomes obvious. I mean, it seems to me. And, and, and you know, John Paul II said this, and in fact our, our own bishops said this in that document, Living the Gospel of Life. They basically said this, look, if you can't get this right, you can't get any other issue right. You know, if you're willing to take away someone's right to life... Well, you've taken away their education, you've taken away their health care, you've taken away their protection from uh, terrorism, you've taken away their right to work, you've taken away their right to emigrate, you've taken away everything if you take away their life. So don't pretend to be an advocate for human rights in all these other issues, but, oh, I have to protect the right to choose, you know, they choose to kill a baby, and therefore you undermine all the other stances that you take. So this is Deacon
3: Deacon. I was oh, going to jump go in that um, you. I couldn't have asked for a better segue into the questions I was going to ask you. So, give it a little bit of a background and where I'm coming from. So, I've been very involved with social justice for the last almost 30 years. I've been dating for 27. Um, and one of the points in one of the assignments I had was dealing with all the social justice issues in the parish. Uh, yes. Like a committee with it. So, one of the dilemmas that I always faced uh, and got feedback from both ends is the a lot of the other pro-lifes considering the, the, I guess, pro-life as anti-abortion groups versus pro-life, and then having their almost a silo mentality, but the other groups also have an silo mentality and not having feedback and cooperation on dealing with it, understanding that it's all human life for the common good. And so... Yes on a practical end for all
1: the ministers and people in these groups how do you deal with this you know i think we have to look at a parallel in the in the in the in the business world you know we uh, first of all the you know there's I- anyone that's been involved in strategic planning or creating business plans knows the difference between a vision and a mission and then a mission versus the the strategies, the objectives, the goals, the tactics. Right. So you you, you set out a, a specific mission, and then you develop your 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 benchmarks and your 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 intermediate goals in order to get there. But a mission is not a vision. In other words, I think in the church we tend to think, and rightly so, we've got this beautiful unified teaching uh, that covers a lot of issues. Um, and, it, and and we, we respect and protect human life from conception to natural death. There's no other way, of course, to, you know, to approach human life. It, our, our ethic has got to be uh, consistent. John Paul II said this, you know, love is is consistent across the board. Okay. So we start with that as our ethic. And we understand in the church what we're trying to do is build a culture of life We're trying to protect life from conception to natural death. And that gives rise to hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, issues that we might call social justice issues. Uh, And to say that we want to build a culture of life that includes all these things, that, it seems to me, is our vision. A vision is what is your preferred future? What do you want the world to look like, you know, once you've reached your goal? And that's the vision of the church but within the church I, we all know we have very distinct and specific ministries so different religious I, I mentioned earlier that i started out my vocation with the salesians well the salesians have a special charism for the young right they're teaching they have yes. schools youth centers so they're experts in youth ministry um, the franciscans i mean the special service to the poor you have other religious orders and 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 uh uh, people in the church that are dedicated to health care and 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 running hospitals and others who are setting up uh missions in the foreign lands so when we look at this uh we look either at the business world where you say okay each business has got its specific mission. You know, if you're the CEO of United Airlines, you know, you're, you're looking to build up that airline. You know, you're not going to say, well, my job is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pro-transportation. Well, you are pro-transportation, but you're not, you know, you know building up Amtrak uh, uh, railways and, and trains. You're, you're building up United Airlines. So, and everybody realizes that these specific areas of focus even if they consume a person's entire profession and life, are not incompatible with having a respect, with having a, an, an, uh, uh, an integral awareness of all the other commitments that other people have. We need to learn how to do that when it comes to these battles for, for human life. And, and, uh, and, and you know those that are, that are doing one type of work or another can't look down. On the people who are doing the other types of work and think that they're less committed, you know, uh, 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 the American Cancer Society, you know, shouldn't look down on the American Heart Association, you know, oh, we're there, you know, the one is not concerned about the other. That that would be crazy. So we all have to h- nourish, I think, that healthy respect for. Look, different people have different vocations, and you can't expect anyone to be addressing all the issues. I think oh, that sometimes. Yes. You know, we we confuse again. We confuse vision with mission. Um, we at Priests for Life are are you know unapologetic in saying our mission is to end abortion. And um, you know, we that doesn't mean we we don't also want to end the death penalty. Doesn't mean we don't also want to uh, 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 bring an end to poverty. You know, it means this is the mission God has given to us, and we say amen to all those other efforts as part of the one church. So I I hope that's you know, those are some of my thoughts when it comes to no. this very real problem but i think it was a
3: great explanation um and now the other side is trying to coordinate it okay if we're going to be very good at advocating the removal of abortion in society how are we as society going to put the effort in to support every all the other things that are involved with that as far as like early childhood education daycare yeah, adoption. How do we have all of these support things so that we're not just saying, "Oh, don't have an abortion," and you know, thank you very much.
1: Here you go. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that that uh, has a parallel in a lot of different issues. You know, we think about child abuse, and it's like, okay, we know we've got to start with you do, you cannot kill. I mean, we got That's always the starting point because okay. once you've killed. Whether it's the unborn or the newborn or the or the or the or the, or the uh, you know the young child, then everything is is over for that child, and and circumstances can change, but uh, but not but not death, and so we start by not killing. We start by reducing uh, the uh, the and eliminating the abuse itself. The greatest self. right? Yeah. yeah, you start with what you have to start with, right? Now that that and then and then the building up, as you say, there's got to be a building up of all kinds of support systems. And I mean, we see in the pro-life movement in the ch- in the church uh, that the people who are advocating most strongly to to bring an end to the killing. Are in fact also involved in strengthening these programs. I mean, they look at the people who run the pregnancy centers. You know, they're convincing women not to have abortions, and they're also giving parenting classes, and they're providing you know all, all kinds of of uh, networks. You know, to give these people good medical care and social services. And this is where then you know the other. I mean, we we look at the Catholic charities, for example. I mean, the church is doing such an incredible job. In such a wide variety of social services, when you look at Catholic charities, just the list of, of services that are provided, right? I mean, part of it is alternatives to abortion, but that's one of like, you know, hundreds of different different things. So the church gives the example here, and working with our lawmakers, it's critical there as well. I think some of the division here uh, that you, you were addressing um, in, in your original question it, it really comes from a division of political loyalties, and We're and you bad. know people. It, I mean, the reality of the situation is, people who have Democrat loyalties, um, you know, are afraid to offend their friends in the Democrat Party by saying something bad about abortion, and I, and I think that's where it's a political division that is. Is foreign to the to the church, or should be foreign to the church. But because of those alliances and loyalties, it's like, hey, I'm working with this Democrat senator, and he or she is helping a whole lot, you know, in our social programs. But so I better not say a word about abortion because I'm gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna drop me like a hot potato. And I think that's you know the political reality that we're uh, that we're dealing with.
3: Well, uh, actually, one of the things that I'm, I'm in the middle of a class right now on faithfuls. Forming consciousness for faithful citizenship and dealing with that. And I mean, I guess something a lot of people don't really appreciate. So if you have a piece of legislation for, for example, immigration, putting in some anti-life legislation in there. So if you really want to have that immigration reform, you know, you're going to be stuck with the uh, choice issue. And Mm. so, you know, so it's a double effect. And how do you draw the line and, and voting for that? It
1: just—it's all of these well, trade-offs. So what is life? And it, well, you know, and 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 yes, and and this this is where we really have to be. Uh, you know, I think of a of a line from John Paul II. It was from 1988, a document called "On the Vocation of the Lay Faithful," Christi Fidelis. Yes. Lay, and he said very powerful line there. He said the common outcry, which is justly made on behalf of human rights, and he, and he lists a number of issues is false and illusory if the right to life, the most basic and fundamental right and the condition for all other personal rights, is not defended with maximum determination. We're building on quicksand. If we're going to allow the killing of these babies to come in, we have, if John Paul II was even stronger in Evangelium Vitae, in the Gospel of Life, you know what he said? He said, once you allow the killing of innocent life, then you have turned the government into a tyrant state his words tyrant state and he said it's the death of true freedom it's a caricature of democracy and he said the disintegration of the state itself has begun so in other words when it comes to the the killing of the innocent it's not even a matter of a balancing act we can give no room to that whatsoever. And that's why I go so far as to say, you know, it is, and many others have said, it's a disqualifying position to take. For anyone in public office who's saying it's okay to kill a baby, where do you get the authority to say it's okay to kill a baby? I mean, who, there's no authority there to, to, to say that. you know. They, and, they're, and they're pretending as if the court, because the court ruled a certain way in Roe v. Wade, they're pretending that therefore it's okay. It's not, and 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 there can there can be no law, there can be no court decision that authorizes the killing of the innocent. It's hard now to, I mean, it has become so accepted. But the bishops said this too in in their document, "Living the Gospel of Life." They say we have we cannot accommodate. They use this word, accommodate. We cannot accommodate uh, uh, laws allowing abortion. Well, part of what that means is that we get so used to it. That we we begin to accept that, well, yeah, this is something we kind of have to, you know, we have to deal with, we have to tolerate. And we've got to stand up with a renewed clarity and say, no, we cannot tolerate that at all. Nobody can authorize the killing of a single baby under any circumstance. And no no we can't authorize the killing of a single anybody, you know, if they're innocent. So the point is that, um, yeah, it requires a real, real, hitting a real clear spiritual and moral Uh, An intellectual restart button, and saying just no right from the start. And I think it goes back to what we were saying before too. That the word abortion has lost its meaning for a lot of people, and uh, you know, unless they get back to describing what it is and even looking at what it is, we're not going to you know make much uh, much progress. Mm, Thank you.
3: This was absolutely a great discussion. I
2: really enjoyed this.
1: Thank you. Me too. Fairly soon, uh, elections will be around. So what are the implications of this for the Christian conscience? Very, very, very profound implications. And, And, you know, the beautiful thing about it is we can make a difference. And many people are realizing that this election is more consequential than ever because the dividing line is not just on policy. It's on principle. And the churches, uh, f- the fundamental rights of human beings are at stake. You know, it's not. You know what it's like. I compare it to if two politicians have different ideas about how to reduce crime in their community. You know, may the best man win. You know, lay out your case, do your argument, debate it, trial and error, see which plan works better. That's fine. People of the same principle can can disagree about policy. But what if a third candidate came along and said, "Well, I'm campaigning on the right to crime. I think we should have more crime." You know, that's not just a difference in, in policy now. It's a difference in principle. You're going after a different goal. When it comes to the abortion issue, this is not a difference in, in simply in policy. You talk about the killing of the baby, the policy is the principle. And, and, and the church stands on one side of that and one side only, the side of life. Same thing with the freedom of the church. I mean, we've got political divisions now, not about how to best protect Citizens religious freedom, but about whether to protect it and when up when up when a candidate or political party comes against uh, our religious freedom for us. There is no neutrality about that. You know, so I think that um, uh, if this is a key moment, I want to invite folks to go to our election page. We have a special page called pro-life vote. Uh, dot com And there's a lot of info there about voting, the practical area. And we have a prayer campaign too, electionprayer.com. And I want to invite all the parishes, deacons, priests, faithful uh, families, say this prayer for our nation's elections. And let's get registered to vote. Let's influence others. Let's spread the church's teaching. And let's, uh, let's uh, advance the culture of life in this election.
0: Amen. Father, yeah. we've about 30 seconds left. Can we uh can we have your prayer and a blessing for our listeners here at WSFI?
1: Well, may the Lord bless each and every one of you and your families. May he answer all your prayers, protect you from all evil and make you strong and active advocates for the unborn. May he bless you, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 amen.
5: amen.